0: Patience is key, and you'll get where you want to go as long as you're able to be flexible and.
1: Yeah, be flexible and resilient.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Self Employed Journey podcast. I'm Cami Powell, your host, a self diagnosed serial entrepreneur, successful business owner, author, and mom. I'm also a student working towards my PhD in business driven to lead a movement of increasing small business success rates through an epidemic of failures. So each week I'll be dropping new episodes filled with inspiration, motivation, tips, and tricks to help you thrive and survive through the crazy world that is small business ownership. I've lined up some pretty phenomenal guests in a variety of industries that are ready to share their own secrets for running a successful business. Whether you're self-employed, or you want to be, make sure to subscribe for updates on new episodes as they're released. Let's do this. So, for all of our listeners today, we're chatting with Chris, and you're with Clear Pivot LLC. Can you tell everyone what that is, what you guys do, how long you've been in business?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so, at Clear Pivot, we're a digital marketing agency and our mission as a company is to turn marketing directors into heroes at their company. So there's nowadays there's about 8 of us on our core team at Clear Pivot and we've been around um about 12 and a half years at this point. I started it back in 2009.
0: That's awesome. So you started this business on your own and you've grown it to 8 staff members.
1: Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, about eight employees and then um, about four to five pretty regular contractors as well.
0: That's incredible, actually. So everyone that's listening that hasn't done that yet but wants to, we want to dig everything out of your brain of how you did that.
1: <laughs> oh, sure thing.
0: Right? So, okay, well, let's go backwards a little bit. We uh, talked about childhood experiences and you had something to share that... I think is interesting. So, share with the listeners what we were talking about.
1: You had asked me if I had done much entrepreneurial stuff in childhood, selling stuff and whatnot, and uh, I actually had not. As a child, I actually, for most of middle school and high school, my dream was to grow up and become a Pixar animator. Actually, <laughs> you know, back when the first Toy Story came out, that came out for people who remember, there was a a Super Nintendo game called Donkey Kong Country that came out that was all 3D animation. I saw all those things and I was like, "Oh man, I want to be I want to be an animator." So, that's what I wanted to do as a kid growing up. Kind of now looking back, it would be fun, but I don't think I don't think I could have actually spent like, you know, my entire adult career actually doing that. Really like what we're doing now, actually.
0: Did you ever get into like when you were Hoping that that would be your future. Did you ever get into programs of learning, trying to learn how to do it at all?
1: Yeah, I used to go to this Saturday animation class at a local school called the Rocky Mountain College of Art and Design. Every Saturday at like six months, every year, they would have animation workshops for high school students. So I would go over there. Yeah, Yeah, that was was a super fun group.
0: See, that's cool. Because like you were, even though you don't have... Like a lot of people I talk to, they have like some crazy, like memory of making money, but like what you were doing there was really positioning yourself in, in your interest and getting some training, even though you're not doing that, you're doing marketing, which is, I think it's a little bit similar, but kind of not. I mean, you're using, it's a lot of creativity is the connection that I see.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of creative thinking and creative strategy for sure. Also, yeah. you know, visual design for sure. So I was, you know, in high school, I was doing art classes and the animation classes and stuff. And so um, when I was looking at colleges, I was looking at, you know, different degrees to, you know, go into from that. So I ended up studying and getting a graphic design degree uh, at college. And um, that, was, that was super useful for the the visual communication learning, visual design learning. Um, At that time we did mostly print based stuff, kind of the web 2.0 stuff was growing a lot during that time as well. And so then after college, I decided to focus more on web design. So that's how clear pivot originally started is it was, it grew out of basically freelance web design work I was doing.
0: It's interesting because I started my business 2014 and it's transformed as well. Do you still do web design?
1: Yeah, we still do some. The majority of our work is definitely more like on the other types of digital marketing, like SEO, Google ads, um, social media advertising, email marketing, a lot of HubSpot implementation, the CRM platform, analytics. That's probably like 85% of what we do now. But we still do about, you know, maybe 10 to 15% of our work is like web design.
0: Yeah. Isn't that interesting how, okay. So, cause when I started, it was like doing bookkeeping and it was like, yeah, okay. And then it just, it morphed into higher level things or more niched than just that. So it's interesting to me, the process that you, you go from, oh, I'm going to start a business and this is what I'm doing. And you started doing websites and you continued in, in marketing, but growing your team. So I'm curious, like as you grow your team, do you identify what you need and then you go out and hire for it? Or do you consider when you're hiring, do you consider the person that you're hiring and say, hey, like, what are you really good at? We could grow in this area.
1: So it started out as just me. And then, you know, I started initially it was just bringing in some freelance people here and there for stuff, bringing in a freelance designer, bringing in a freelance uh, WordPress developer, bringing in a freelance you know SEO specialist and things like that. Um, and so it was kind of growing the team one person at a time. So it would be great to like hire someone and then figure out what to do, but we just didn't have the luxury. We couldn't yeah. afford that. So we always, you know, I would identify the need. I need help with such and such. And then I would find a person who can help with that. And then once we get them going on that, if they're, you know, interested and, you know, really looking to do more, we can start exploring more of that themselves as well. Um, Like we are getting a couple of our current team members who have been doing a lot of marketing stuff like copywriting and emails and social media and stuff. We're starting to get them more involved in uh, more technical CRM implementations, for instance, Yeah. So we started growing people into new areas like that. But usually it starts with identifying a specific need and then hiring the person for that need.
0: Yeah, I think that that's actually a great thing to point out is when you're starting out, I mean, same for me, it's almost like you want to duplicate yourself initially. You're like, okay, these are the things that I have going on and I need help. So I need someone who can do that. But I definitely down the line started And I don't know if you've heard this before, but like hire people that are smarter than you, (laughs) hire people that know how to do things you don't. Right. Okay. So I, I noticed here that you've mentioned that you've had some poor employee hires. So if we could go through the process of like your hiring process, what it was, how that poor employee hire came about and how you dealt with it to help other people learn maybe from that process. You wanna walk through that a little bit?
1: To be honest, most of our employees and our contractors have been have worked out pretty well on average. I've been pretty happy with the people we've had over the years. Yeah, there's been some cases where we haven't had like to fire an employee, but we've had a couple contractors over the years where you know it would blow up and we would end up parting ways with them. I can think of only kind of two specific ones. Right at the moment, Um, it was like web developers we hired. One was um, he just ended up getting in over his head. He was working at another web development company and um, they were like spinning off a side business that they wanted to get out of. So he ended up purchasing the side business from his employer And then going out on his own to run that side business as his new business. But it wasn't big enough to like support him financially yet. So he was also doing contract web development work as well. So we were working together and we got him on like five different projects probably. And um, he basically just ended up getting in over his head between trying to run that business that he bought and do these projects that he had bought from us or, or that we were bringing to him. And uh, yeah, he he just got in over his head, didn't realize like how much work it was going to be. And he just started falling behind on basically all of the projects. So he just got overwhelmed.
0: Do you think that you caught, I guess, his struggles in time, like saw the red flags early enough to prevent issues within your own business?
1: Mm, it would have been better to spot it a little sooner for sure. Like we got him going on a bunch of projects and, you know, yeah. a couple of projects were going slower than anticipated. It's like, okay, it's a little slower, but, you know, it's not like a disaster yet, you know, and then a couple were getting further behind. And so eventually I just started having to pull projects and reassign them to someone else. Well, first find someone else and then reassign them to them
0: in that position again say as someone who's listening and is struggling what are the red flags that maybe if you were like oh if I could have done this over and seen and and made the change or the shift sooner what are those red flags that like maybe you didn't hop on right away
1: um yeah in this case it was a a web development project so it was like programming projects basically and unfortunately any sort of Programming or web development can be very, very difficult to scope out in the beginning because, you know, you look at something and it could end up being like, you know, a one hour thing or it could end up being like a hundred hour thing. Right. Um, And unfortunately, it's just really hard to scope it out up front, especially if something looks like it might be pretty easy. And then you get in there and you're like, oh, it would be easy, except you know, this one piece of code has this dependency over in this other piece of code. And that's like, you know, that part is all structured, all wrong. And we thought we could just fix this one thing. But it turns out we have to change this whole other internal system first and then circle back to the original thing. So it's it's just hard to scope out those types of projects in general, for sure. But uh, it's very easy for programmers to be overly, way too overly optimistic. Okay. In overestimating what they're capable of doing, and what also how easy or not easy it will be,
0: How do you manage your contractors? I see two types of managers, like one where we micromanage, right? and then one where we're kind of hands off and we we just expect that they meet the deadline and check in and we get told, "Oh, yeah, it's coming, and then it doesn't come." Um, <laughs> so like how how do you manage?
1: I don't think there's any like 100% right way to know. It's kind of a, always kind of checking yourself and making sure you're balancing somewhere between micromanaging and on the one extreme versus just letting them sink on their own on the other extreme. It, it's a little bit different for different types of people too.
0: I agree with you. It's like, it depends on the person, what they need. Are you able to kind of shift your management style for the different people that you have?
1: Um, it's something I, I try to do. I put uh, effort and energy into trying to adjust my management style for the different types of people on our team. And so I, I hope it's paying off, but it's definitely something I'm putting at, uh, attention into.
0: How does your team work? Like, okay, so you've got eight of you. Do you <laughs> manage everyone or do you have a manager?
1: So we on our team, it's me our salesperson, Ryan, and then uh, our account strategists. Okay. That's basically our core team. So um, basically me and Ryan work the sales pipeline with the new prospects. We sign up a client for either a retainer or maybe a smaller fixed scope project. And then we introduce the client to one of our account strategists. And then from there, the account strategist is the primary point of contact for the client. And each account strategist will take somewhere between two to six clients per account strategist. And so that's basically our core team. Yeah. And then our contractors are usually more like specialists. Like we have a couple of copywriters, two designers, and a couple of web developers. Sometimes there will be occasional other types of specialists, but that's usually kind of the, the typical contractors, writers, designers, developers. And so that, you know, those are all much more specialist roles, so to speak. And so, so they meet- then report to the account strategists Then the account strategists coordinate with me.
0: Okay. So are you then in meeting with every account strategist like daily, once a week, or how do you ensure your projects are being managed?
1: Yeah, I meet with uh one-on-one with each of our account strategists about once a week, sometimes twice a week, depending on, uh, the projects they're managing and what's going um,
0: on. Yeah. And
1: what's going on. So Um, when I, we hired a couple of new people last year. And so for them, I, I met with each of them individually every day for about two months, probably. Um, And it was very helpful. Um, We went through a lot of stuff. It reminded me just how much stuff there is to learn sometimes. And it went great. They, they learned it all. And now we're down to meeting just once or twice a week with them.
0: So when you're meeting with them once a week, they're coming with a skill. You're not just hiring people that don't know these things yet, right? Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, I mean, some people have more experience, some people have less experience.
0: And so when you're meeting with them once a day, as their new hires, are you really focusing on ensuring that they are grasping what your company's mission is and, and that they're making sure that they're... That they're employing that why are you meeting every day what is what's the value
1: um a lot of it or almost all of it is um learning our processes going through technical stuff especially on um like the analytics and the crm side of things uh there's a a lot a lot of technical things to learn We spent a lot of time going through a lot of the technical stuff, strategy stuff, client communication, best practices, and things like that. We probably didn't, in retrospect, I probably did not spend enough time articulating the company mission, to be honest. Now that you ask me and I think about it, I realized to myself that I probably should have spent more time talking about overall mission and vision.
0: Well, I think we're always growing, and I think that probably subconsciously, you know that as we were saying earlier, you're like, I haven't really had any issues with employees. So subconsciously you knew that they were like a fit within your company and within the mission and it's working. So, I mean, it's not a horrible thing. I just get really curious, like how people ensure that, you know, once you have employees, I mean, it's a hard thing for people. I was talking to someone yesterday who is struggling with just hiring an assistant one man show just wants to grow, but is having a hard time letting go of some things. And so, you know, here you sit with eight employees. I had, I had seven and it's like, it's almost like, how do you let go of these pieces of your business?
1: Oh so, yeah. that's you know what um, I mean? Yeah. And we've, have, we have an interesting perspective ourselves, you know, cause we're a, a marketing agency. So our customers are other businesses. Right. And, um, Most of our customers are um, small companies themselves, too. A lot of them are between, you know, somewhere between five to 20 employees themselves. Um, And so uh, almost invariably with our own customers of that size, the biggest problem I see in them is the business owners are not letting go the business owners are still doing a lot of the work themselves. They're like doing client service themselves, or maybe if they've released the client service part to their employees, they still are keeping all of the key decision-making responsibility to themselves. And so, and then they become the bottleneck for getting things, you know, new ideas approved. So uh, that's by far the biggest issue I see across all of the clients we work with. And so that's always a reminder to me when I see the bottlenecks and the way it holds them back. That's a constant reminder to me to think, OK, well, what, what might I be doing in our own team that's holding everyone else back? And where am I becoming the bottleneck?
0: Have you identified any areas that you have adjusted because of that, because of that reflection?
1: Almost always. It's something like it's usually something that goes kind of like. Well, I could show them how to do this or I could just go in and do it myself in like 10 minutes and I'll just go do it myself and that's easier. Yes. And maybe it's it is easier that day. You know, you get it done or whatever. You get it done. But then the next time it happens, you you're faced with the same thing again where you have to. Just go and do it yourself a second time if it comes up again, versus if you're just taking a little more time to show someone else how to do it, then they could handle it going forward.
0: I love that. Okay, so how do you overcome, and it sounds really easy for you, so it's like maybe like if we can help the listeners who struggle with this delegate things that they know they can do, but they're having a hard time passing off the information because they, what I'm finding is people think that it's going to take longer if they pass it off, which it does the first time.
1: Yeah, for sure. It does the first time.
0: But once it's passed off and then someone takes control of it, it doesn't mean we lose sight of it or we're not able to check in or make sure that it's being done in the right way. But how do you delegate and feel confident that it's going to be okay?
1: Well, the first off is to just recognize and resist the temptation. Anytime you're like, oh, I see this thing that's not quite right, or this thing that could be fixed this way. Anytime you see that and in your head you go, oh, maybe I can go fix this. You know, first recognizing that situation when that happens and saying, oh, I'm having this thought in my head again. Should I really go in and just fix it myself? Or I see I'm meeting, have a you know one-on-one with so-and-so tomorrow. How about instead I just put it on our meeting agenda for me to show them in the meeting tomorrow?
0: That's actually a really, really, really good piece of advice. Let me take this back a level because let's say there are people that don't have anyone to pass it off yet. What advice would you give them?
1: Mm, like making the first? Yeah. Well, hiring the very first person? Yeah. You don't have to hire like a full-time person right off the bat. And you shouldn't hire a full-time person off the bat. Uh, you don't even need to necessarily hire someone like as a W-2 employee and set up tax withholding accounts and all of that. I started out just hiring, you know, freelancers here and there, and uh have I would have them, you know, send me a invoice through FreshBooks or PayPal or something, and and I'd mail them a check or pay their PayPal link and and just starting like that at first.
0: Yeah, like a contractor basis. I think a lot of people will, they have this fear that, oh, I'm going to be spending this money and I'm not going to be making it back or whatever. And what I see is the people that do invest in others, in contractors and employees to build their brand and their business is that they end up surprisingly making a lot more right?
1: Yeah, eventually. One thing you have to do is probably raise your own prices to make it work.
0: Yeah, sometimes. Absolutely. Sometimes that is necessary, depending on where you're at. So like, I'm sure with you being in business for this long, because I find this time and time again, but like, were you ever like not charging enough?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah many times, maybe most of the time. Okay.
0: How do you, okay. So do you still feel like you're there? Like where you're like, gosh, like we're providing this incredible thing and at a discounted rate. Do you still feel that?
1: Um, what we've done primarily over the years is we chart as we get better at what we do and we bring on new clients, we quote higher rates to new clients than the existing clients. Sometimes you have to raise rates on existing clients too, though. It's true. Um, just because, you know, especially some of our clients have been working with us for years. Actually. Yeah. So that's been really wonderful to have that stability for them and for us. Yeah. But eventually that also means you do, you can't physically continue at the rate you were continuing at five years ago or something. So sometimes you do have to raise rates on existing clients too. But even, even then the new clients, Most of our new clients were doing a more market rate than our kind of grandfathered rate clients.
0: Right. So how do you identify your market rate?
1: That's a really good question. And that's...
0: People need help with that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I needed help with that eight years ago too. It's actually really hard, especially for professional services companies like agencies or accounting firms or consultants. I found it very difficult to find out what a good market rate is because everybody's pretty tight-lipped on their rates in general.
0: Right? Did you ever do like some spy work where you were like, oh, I need to like figure out what this, you know, comparable agency is charging or...
1: Yeah, that's sort of like kind of shopping around yourself. That's kind of difficult too in this space. Yeah. Uh, I follow a couple people on Twitter and stuff who run plumbing companies and cleaning companies and home services. And um, for that, it's pretty easy. You can just call around and kind of ask for quotes on stuff. It's a little tougher if you start calling around for like marketing consulting, because they want to say, oh, yeah, you know, we'd love to give you an estimate. Let's talk about the project and whatnot. And then you're kind of like, well, am I going to like spin this giant lie or something? Yeah,
0: how am I going <laughs> to do this? Because that's, you're like kind of getting in, <laughs> in too deep at that point.
1: Yeah, really. Uh, and so a lot of it, I've, a lot of the pricing, I just, picked up over the years from the things people have said here and there, to be honest. Yeah. One rule of thumb I heard from uh, Brian Halligan, the founder of HubSpot a few years ago, talked about someone who founded an ad agency like back in the 60s or something. And that guy said when he started out, his rule of thumb was just take what you need to pay your employees and multiply it by three. And that's the billable client rate. And that's actually found that actually to be a pretty good rule of thumb.
0: Actually, yeah. And as long as people are, I mean, as long as it's, you know, your operating costs, you just you have to make sure that everything balances out. So I like that. I really like that piece of advice, especially if you have a very low cost of overhead. I mean, typically almost always your biggest cost is going to be your staff or your Contractors, right?
1: Yeah, especially for us. Probably 70% of our expenses are payroll, 15% of our expenses are software expenses, and then everything else is like the last little bit. Like yeah. asset overhead is very low for us, but uh, uh, labor expenses are very high for us.
0: Do you guys have an office or do you all work from home?
1: Uh, We've always been remote. Um, originally, back in the early years, I couldn't afford an office. <laughs> I'm in Denver, and we used to have about 60% of our other people in Denver as well. But most of them have actually moved away for usually family reasons right? Um, over the years. And so now almost everybody is in literally different states, but we all wanted to keep working together. And so we just kept rolling like that. It wouldn't even make sense to get an office because everybody's in different states.
0: So you were probably really lucky then when COVID hit and everything kind of was at a halt because everyone was already working remotely.
1: Yeah, everyone was remote already. And so our day to day didn't change pretty much at all, actually.
0: Did you have any challenges through COVID though, like losing clients or?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Our biggest client went out of business.
0: Whoa.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What
0: percentage of your revenue was that?
1: Um, at that time they were too big of a percentage.
0: Okay. For sure. They were probably
1: 25% of our revenue maybe.
0: Oh, that's so scary.
1: Yeah, that, that was pretty rough.
0: And so what did you do to like replace that or like, how did you overcome that?
1: We kind of just gritted it out really. They went out of business and then they almost stiffed us on (gasps) uh on our final couple of invoices too. Oh no. I had to chase them for like three months. Oh get them to finally pay up.
0: That's so stressful because that really creates a burden on your company with the cash flow.
1: Yeah, that was that was a real drag. You're like,
0: wasn't fun. Let's not do that again. So from there, I mean, because I always say like, don't put all your eggs in one basket and like 25%, it's it's high. But I think, I mean, I see companies do that, but you lose that. You 25%, that's a lot. Have you diversified into so that everything's kind of less than that now?
1: Yeah. In fact, uh, one of my goals for this year in particular was kind of capping the high end of how much we're willing to do for a client in terms of capacity.
0: Yeah, really smart. Because if you lose one, it's easy to—it's easier to replace one that is not twenty-five percent.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, definitely. So we're doing yeah. we're pretty in terms of like billing per client. We're pretty balanced right now. I would say there's probably no one single client that's more than ten percent of revenue right now.
0: I think that what you are talking about right now and what is really incredible and for everyone to know, you are able to ride the waves and kind of be flexible with anything that comes your way. And for that, you're going to always continue to be successful in everything you do.
1: Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, flexibility is for sure really important and resilience as well. But yeah, like flexibility, like, you know, we started out this all started out from me just doing freelance web design. And, um, now, uh, that's not the majority of our business. Mm -hmm. And, uh, if I just said, you know, if I just said, oh, well, I just want to be the greatest web designer ever and never going to change. And if I change, that means I, that means it's like a failure or something. If you get into that mindset, that's a, could be a dangerous mindset.
0: Well, I think that's when people do end up not being able to get through hard times is with that mindset. So I think that that's a huge, huge quality to have in owning a business and being successful and you've mastered it. So good job.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, thank you.
0: Do you have like a mission, vision and values for your company?
1: Kinda of the vision and values part actually is not super defined. The mission's defined. Our mission is to turn marketing directors into heroes at their company. Our monthly email newsletter is called the Marketing Hero Newsletter. We run a podcast called the Marketing Hero Podcast. So Uh, We've we've really leaned into it since then, once we kind of defined that as our mission.
0: I love that. And so typically in my past then, with with my experience, I would lean on the mission in, in a whole bunch of different ways. And I'm curious if you do this as well, by who I hire, who my next client is, who my vendors are, who I want them to fit also within my vision. Do you kind of go through that process when you're hiring or recruiting or getting new clients, just checking to make sure that, Hey, like, yes, this new client does fit this. They want this too.
1: Yeah. When we're talking with our new prospects in our pipeline, you know, sometimes we're talking with the company owner directly, but if the prospect is a marketing director or VP of marketing themselves, you know, we'll tell them as we're talking to them, you will make sure to say, Hey, our mission is to make you look like a hero at the company.
0: I love that.
1: Yeah. So they usually are quite happy to hear that. And then as far as hiring, ultimately, one of the most important things on our team is uh, communication and empathy and uh, emotional intelligence.
0: It's very important, no matter who you're working with, staff, clients, customers, anyone, vendors that you are communicating on a level that is able to get you where you want to go.
1: Yeah, and thinking through things from their perspective, too. Yeah. For something as simple as like responding to an email.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: um, you know, say the client emails us about something that's on their mind or whatever, and you see it and you're like, oh, okay, I'll get back to them. And they get distracted and you're like, oh, yeah, it's in my inbox. I'll get back to them. It's on my mind, but it's easy to forget from the client's perspective. If you they email you. And then they're like, am I just shouting into the void here? You know, if it goes for a while and they don't hear back from you, it can start to cause some anxiousness for them.
0: Absolutely. And I've always said to my staff, and I don't know if you say this to yours, but I always wanted every client and customer to feel like they're the only one. Yeah. And if I can do that, however, there is a boundary because I do need, we do need them to understand that we have other clients. But if we can communicate quickly and make them feel like they're the most important right now in what they need, if they're the right fit and the right client and the people that we're working with forever and we want them forever, then that relationship's just gonna grow stronger and stronger.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's tough to do because they're not your only client. Right. Um, but if, yeah, if you can kind of, keep that in mind as kind of the overall principle of what can I do to make them feel like I'm the only client is the goal you'll never quite reach, but you can at least get as close as possible.
0: Well, thank you so much. So how can people get in touch with you or find you on social media and all the ways everywhere that you are right now?
1: (laughs) So our website is clearpivot.com. C-L-E-A-R-P-I-V-O-T. Like I mentioned, we run a podcast. It's called The Marketing Hero Podcast, as per our mission. And you can see it on our website at clearpivot.com podcast, or just search for it. Search for The Marketing Hero Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And then on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you can search for Clear Pivot on any of those. I even grabbed our Clear Pivot username on TikTok. We're not doing anything there. But I at least grab the username if we ever do something in the future. But yeah, most of our effort these days is going into our Marketing Hero podcast. That's where our most meaty stuff is going out, I would say.
0: I love it. So do you guys interview people on that?
1: Each episode, we interview marketing leaders.
0: You're getting the experts on there so that they can help others. I love it.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: You are becoming an industry leader when you, with all the moves you're making. It's super cool.
1: Yeah, that's the goal.
0: It takes time. And if people could understand, like and you're listening and you're wanting to start something or you're two years in or whatever, like it takes time. And so patience is key and you'll get where you want to go as long as you're able to be flexible and
1: yeah, be flexible and and uh, resilient
0: and resilient, I think are the two best advice pieces here. Thank you so much. I really, yeah,
1: thank you for having me on here.
0: Yeah, I really have appreciated this and have enjoyed this conversation.